The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When they had come near Jerusalem and had, and had reached Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. You, you may be seated. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy God, you have a word for us today, a word of comfort and a word of challenge, a word of hope and a word of guidance for our lives. Make our hearts soft. Plant your word in us that it may bear fruit through our lives. Amen. Uh, and just a reminder, if you are a visual person, I have sermon notes available in the app if you want to follow along. Well, I love this day, Palm Sunday. It's one of the only days in the life of the church where we really kind of try to recreate the story. We, we do these actions, we wave branches, we shout Hosanna, we process in. The only thing missing as we came in was the donkey today. That's Christmas. We enter the story with our whole selves, igniting our imagination and, and trying to catch a glimpse of the energy of that moment. But even with all the fanfare we create, it, it's hard to fathom the magnitude of, of that day. Maybe if we imagine scenes from modern history, I think of things like Dr. Martin Luther King marching for equality or, or Gandhi in India leading his people toward freedom or, or maybe when the Blues won the Stanley Cup in downtown St. Louis. Okay, maybe not that one, but you get the idea, right? Massive crowds entering into the city, filling the streets, bursting with energy. And this wasn't just people who were from Jerusalem, but all those who's, who've come from far and wide. And the crowds that had gathered that day were there for a couple different reasons. The first one is, is the obvious one, that Jesus was coming and he had created this movement and people were following him. But the other piece is that people were coming to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Now, the festival of Passover was one of three key annual festivals that God had commanded the Israelites all the way back in the Exodus story to celebrate each year and if they were able to come. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 16, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, at the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. All shall give as they are able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. 
And so any of God's people who were able were commanded to come to Jerusalem, to the temple, three times a year from wherever they were spread out. And for whatever reason, the people came. When they finally get there, they see something remarkable. They see Jesus riding into Jerusalem from the, on the, from the Mount of Olives on a donkey. And anyone who knew the scriptures and knew the prophecies would start to think about this and put two and two together and see what was meant to be revealed here. That Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the coming expected king, just like the prophet Zechariah foretold. And now the thing that's incredible to me about this story, though, and I want to put a map up here on the screen, is there's a piece that we can't see in the Gospels because they don't talk about it. In our, in our CG's Bible study this Lenten season, we went through a book called The Last Week, uh, and it outlines each day of, the, of Holy Week, and the, the authors dig into the history uh, from other sources uh, in the context of the time, and what we learned is that every time the Jewish people would have one of these annual pilgrimage festivals and come into the city, Rome, being fearful of rebellion, needed to find ways to keep their oppressed people in line. And so they would put on a massive display of their power. You see, Jesus was coming from this little tiny red arrow, you maybe can't even see, this short distance from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, coming from the east. But on the other side came something else. You see, Pilate, while he certainly had a big palace in Jerusalem, it seems that he also spent a lot of time up on the coast in Caesarea Maritima. Maybe he had a nice summer home there. Uh, We're not sure. Uh, But he came down these three times a year, most likely in his finest armor on his war horse, filled with weapons and his military might and the garrison of soldiers marching into Jerusalem from the west. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's protesting the power of Rome. He's giving a counter-narrative, a contrasting mirror image to what's happening on the other side of the city. From one side comes Rome, the, the powers of this world, the kingdom of Caesar marches in with all their power and their wealth and their violence and their fear. But from Bethpage comes love incarnate, riding on a donkey, bringing hope and humility and talking about peace and healing. You see, he offers an alternative to the kingdom of Caesar, the kingdom of heaven. And as you might imagine, it was a bold statement and a dangerous one, one that by the end of the week gets him killed. Now to say that Jesus was was proclaiming the kingdom of heaven as a condemnation of and an alternative to the kingdom of Caesar, of Rome, that's true, but it's also too simplistic. The kingdom Jesus proclaims and lived out and taught as a critique of and an alternative to every kingdom of this world of all time where oppression and violence and power over others are at work. So the question, my friends, is can we recognize the profound difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world? The question for us today is which kingdom will we create? As long as there is sin in this world and sin in our hearts, there will always be this tension between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of heaven and the way the world far too often operates. 
So I want to look at the story and contrast a few things to see what Jesus reveals here, the kingdom of heaven, and how that's so very different than the kingdom of Caesar, the kingdoms of this world. So the first thing we notice is Jesus is riding in on a donkey, right? And Pilate comes in on a war horse. <clears throat> a donkey represents humility. It's, it's an animal of service, an animal of peasants and agriculture. I mean, who rides a donkey into battle? How many of you were thinking about the movie Shrek when I said that just then, right? <clears throat> but notwithstanding, people would have expected a mighty king to come running in, on, riding in on some majestic stallion, a powerful horse displaying victory through violence, loyalty through fear, promoting a peace that can be yours as long as you stay in line and pay tribute. But Jesus shows a different way. He said as much in Matthew 20, just a little bit before this. He said to the disciples, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and they greet their, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it will not be so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what we see is the kingdom of Caesar is violence and power over others, but in the kingdom of heaven there is humility and service. So what about us? When we act with humility, as Paul says, regarding the interests of others before the interests of ourselves, we're building the kingdom of heaven here and now. And yet whenever I fall prey to my own selfishness or arrogance, thinking myself better than others, I'm I'm building up the kingdoms of Caesar in this world. So which kingdom will we create day by day? Jesus' life and ministry was one that, that crossed invisible, invented boundaries to bring those who were told that they were enemies or unworthy or outsiders to tell them that they were, in fact, beloved. Over and over, Jesus would, would touch the untouchable lepers. He would talk with the, the despised Samaritans. He would eat with the shunned sinners, restoring community where community had been broken. It's the complete opposite of how the Caesars of this world acquire power. They do that through division and othering. Rome's entire system of conquest preyed on the lowest by watering the seeds of intolerance and exploiting divisions to turn the the local people against one another lest they would unite against the corruption at the top. Sound familiar at all? Thank goodness we never do that in today's world, right? The kingdom of Caesar feeds on division and making enemies. But the kingdom of heaven is about love and and unity and reconciliation. So whenever we ourselves create enemies or fuel divisions, we're, we're supporting these kingdoms of Caesar, the Caesar systems of this world. But when we see the image of God in our neighbor, when we see those who are different than ourselves as, as beloved and live out things like forgiveness and reconciliation, we make the world a bit more like the kingdom of heaven every day. In contrast, Rome's system was one that had the ultra-rich, the elites in power at the top, building more wealth for the few on the exploitation of the many. It's a destructive ha- habit that human history, we have yet to, continue to break it. So what we see, though, is the kingdom of Rome, of Caesar, is greed, but in the kingdom of heaven, we see generosity. 
So whenever we acquire or consume without regard for the needs of our neighbors, we participate in the kingdom of Caesar. But when we place our trust in God for our daily bread, when we share abundantly with the need around us, we create the kingdom of heaven. You see, friends, the kingdom of heaven isn't a place. It isn't a nation or an empire. It's a state of existence. It's a reality that God creates. And we participate. We participate in its creation. It is the world as God intended it to be, beautiful and complete and alive. It's a, a way of being, a way of walking in step with Jesus where we see beauty in every human being, where joy abounds and fear fades. When we see cosmic glory in the, the blooming of a springtime flower or feel the heavens move with the vivacious laughter of a child, we experience the kingdom of heaven. When every time we forgive, Every time we are kind to a stranger, every time we give of ourselves to help repair a broken home or serve our neighbors, we create the kingdom of heaven. Every time we choose hope over cynicism, love over fear, we participate in God's movement in the world. Every time we reach out to someone who feels lost or alone with the love of God, we're creating the kingdom. Friends, signs of the kingdom are everywhere surrounding us every day if only we have the eyes to see the kingdoms of caesar may be whispering enticing lies maybe casting out false promises but they they hold no power when compared to the radiance of jesus love the one who rides humbly on a donkey so have hope sometimes it may look like the kingdoms of the world have won but but not even death can stop the kingdom of heaven not even death can stop God's love from finding you. Jesus believed in this kingdom so, so much that he would do anything to bring it to us, even become one of us, even go to the cross. And so over this holy week, we're going to see the kingdoms of this world doing their worst to the one who loved the most. But in the end, God says, no, no, the kingdoms of this world will not have the final say. Pain and fear, anger and hate may do their worst, but not even death can hold back the love of God for you, for me, and for everyone. So where will you see the kingdom of heaven around you this week? How is God inviting you to create that kingdom here and now? Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.